Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. And today we're going to continue with our Women's History Month celebration. I hope you guys have been enjoying this. I have enjoyed every episode and just getting to know the guests and listening to their stories. And I hope you really enjoyed the last episode that we had with our guest host, Maricela Miles Mattingly. Yes, my wife, the guest host for the last show. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Based on your feedback, we may bring her back to host another show. So hope you guys enjoyed that. For today, I'm excited about this. I've been looking forward to linking up with this guest for some time now. It's been a couple months, actually. She might not even known it that we've been stalking her for a couple months waiting to get her on the show, mm-hmm. but we are able to finally get her. And today I want to welcome Dr. Miranda Ryder to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. First of all, like I'm super excited to get into this conversation and just I'm ready to just turn you loose and let you bless the minority money community with our conversation today. But before we get started, can you just tell the community a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure, absolutely. Thanks again, Emlyn. So happy to be here with you and your wonderful audience in this awesome show. Just so excited about what you're doing for the big wide community out there who's needing to hear uh, the messages that are being sent over this podcast. I am Dr. Miranda Ryder. I am an assistant professor at the School of Personal Financial Planning at Texas Tech University. So I am kind of research professor in which I teach undergrad, grad, doctoral students at Texas Tech, teach wealth management. I'll be teaching in the fall. Of course, I'm very excited about diversity, equity, and inclusion in financial planning research this fall. And I also conduct research in my role as a professor at Texas Tech. That is basically it in a nutshell. So you guys better get ready. You heard it. You already heard it here. So you know she knows what she's talking about. And I'm excited about this. Diversity, equity, and inclusion in financial planning. And I always think about that. Every time I hear diversity, equity, and inclusion, I always think, well, we got to go representation too, right? Like, because that's like the other thing that gets not necessarily left out, but just as important as those other ones, because if you can't see it, you can't be it, right? As you were like, you know, you give a little background being in education and stuff. And actually, when you said that, I was thinking, you got to know Dr. Levin. Do you know yes. Dr. Levin? AJ, AJ? Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Because we said Texas Tech, shout out to AJ. I hope you listen to this. I hope you listen. <laughs> but uh, that's my guy right there. So when you're talking about Texas Tech, I was thinking, I immediately thought about him. He's been on the show a few times. We actually were in New York together earlier this year. Awesome. Uh, went to a Knicks game. So um, awesome. Yeah, I love having you guys on to talk about financial planning at the level you guys talk about it because it's just so like, I love it. I just love it. And the fact that, you know, both of you are black, that makes it even better. Don't, you know, just yeah. so I, I absolutely love that. As you've been through your career, you know, going through this in the educational piece, what is one of the things, this isn't even one of the questions, I was just like, something that just popped into my head, but what's one of the biggest changes you would say you've seen over the last, you know, few years? And what would you say? I would say in financial planning. Okay, yeah. So I kind of introduced myself in terms of what I do now. And I've been a professor at Texas Tech since 2020. But before that, I had about 20 years working as a professional. 
And that was uh, mostly finance and education. And so when I started the PhD program in 2015, and I wrote in my letter to Kansas State saying, accept me as a PhD student, I wrote a letter advocating for diversity in financial planning, racial diversity in financial planning, gender diversity in financial planning. But I can tell you that that almost seemed like something I just wasn't being talked about, not nearly as much as it's being talked about. Mm. I mean, it was just not something that was on the table. I wasn't seeing research articles about it. Me trying to, you know, come up with those first initial papers in grad school, I just wasn't finding the research. So what I'm writing about now, amazingly, some of my research is some of the first research that's done on racial issues in financial planning at the research level. And even in industry, I mean, it took 2018 before the CFP board, you know, launched their work, which was awesome Mm -hmm. about racial diversity, but it was 2018. And so again, I started my PhD program in 2015, and this just was not on the scene. I would say that to me has been like the biggest change of the last several years. And I'm glad it's a good change that it's finally, finally here and bustling. I think that like, I can hear the passion. I can hear it coming. I can hear it coming out. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, I want to ask this question later, but I can't wait till later. I got to know. <laughs> Why is it so important for the financial planning industry to get this right? You say you hear passion, but it does kind of hit like an emotional chord mm-hmm. for me. I am passionate about this because there are a lot of people who need help. The financial planning just has an amazing opportunity to transform the lives of generations. That's why, in a nutshell, to me, it has the opportunity to transform generations, right? And so I think about that in two parts. I think about families who are first-generation financial planning clients. And when you think about first-generation financial planning clients, you know, meaning that their parents did not work with financial planners, quite likely them falling into this, they don't really know what's happening, but When a financial planner can embrace that family, now you have introduced this amazing resource to not only the parents, but the children who know that their parents have financial planners, right? And so the likelihood of those children perhaps doing that for their family when they become adults and then their children, I mean, it's a huge opportunity and it's not going to absolutely fix some of the issues that we have, but getting a particularly Black family, when we're talking about the racial wealth gap, into that financial planning process, again, has a momentous effect. So that's on the client side. But then when you talk about the professional side, the employees, the financial planners, I mean, what opportunity do we have to change the face of financial planning? Again, you're opening up in a way this profession that so many people didn't know they could be a part of or don't feel like they could be a part of. And that's important because, again, when people understand that their children, their aunt, their uncle, their mom is doing this job, more and more people are understanding what we do and what's so amazing about what we do. So, again, there's a huge opportunity here for the profession. Amen. Yes, 1000% agree with all of that. That's just like listening to it. And and one of the things that I've said a lot is because I think like in the black family, you always seen the insurance man, right? The insurance man came to the house, yes. like kind of a staple. He's going to come to the crib and, you know, take care of the insurance. You don't even know what you got. You just know you got insurance. <laughs> you come to right. the house to collect the premiums, right? But I remember that as a kid. 
But thinking about like what a financial advisor does, and I had a banking career. I was in banking for 11 years. I was a branch manager before I left. And thinking even like, I remember seeing the financial advisor in the office. I was like, man, like what do you got to do to go see him? Like, I can't see him. I know I'm the manager <laughs> of bank. What am I going to go see him for? And now looking at it from, you know, the RIA space and having my own RIA and being able to, you know, get involved with the families, right? That's what we're talking about. Being able to get Absolutely. involved with the families and get some principles to them, get some information in front of them and educate them to make, you know, better decisions about their finances. Not that they didn't want to, they just didn't have the resources to make them. And yeah. now, you know, with more of people that look like me and look like you and more Latinos coming into the industry and more people from the LGBTQ plus coming into the industry, being able to serve their respective communities, this is how you see that huge change, right? And yes. I think we're right at the beginning of the momentum with the, you know, the snowball coming. We're picking up steam. Now you can actually see it like, oh, wow, there's some change coming. I think we are right smack dab in the middle of where we need to be. What is the impact of race and gender on consumer financial behavior? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I really want to start with something that you just said. You talked about, you remember the insurance person, mm -hmm. you know, the insurance man coming into the house, right? Mm -hmm. And I really, that is something that is, to me, quite profound. I recently finished a research paper on racial differences in life insurance. And what's really fascinating about when you think about race and the behavior around life insurance, mm -hmm. it is peculiar. It's different than any of the other financial behaviors that we might look at, like investments or risk tolerance. And what I mean by that is that this is a category in which Black people are more likely than white people mm -hmm. to actually have life insurance. Mm -hmm. There's so many research papers that come out and say, oh, you know, the minorities, you know, Hispanics and Blacks are behind or mm -hmm. they have this kind of wording that, you know, we're just not doing well and all this kind of thing. But when it comes to life insurance, this is one of the areas where it's not really well understood. Consumer behavior is a plus, And that's a great thing. And I think that there should be more investigations to understand what makes it different. Now, I think what makes it different when we look at, you know, for example, household of color being less likely to have stocks, right? Let's just say that that's one of those things, those behaviors. Well, I think with life insurance, there's a history there. There's a history that goes back kind of deep way back after reconstruction, where actually you had some black life insurance companies that got started, mm -hmm. right? And so there was segregation. And people couldn't go to these other firms, but they had their own quote unquote firm. So that started a culture of insurance planning that other parts of financial planning didn't see. So anyway, I think it's a legacy of the history mm -hmm. that we have with that, right? And the ability to have businesses in insurance. Another thing that I look at in my research is financial planner use consumer financial behavior around financial planner use, who's using financial planners. So we know that historically, the industry of financial planning has been slated towards the wealthy individuals in the United States. That's going to, in so many ways, given the history and the systematic issues in this country, it's really going to mean a lot of white individuals and households, right? But when we look at research and trying to think about if we try to say, if we have a Black family and a white family, and if they have kind of the same education, income, net worth, 
When we look at them that way, who's actually more likely to work with a financial planner? Well, what we learned there is that actually Blacks are more likely than whites to work with financial planners and Latinx households are less likely to work with financial planners. This is some very fertile area for more research because we're learning more. Some of these things we don't understand in terms of why they are the way they are. That's one of the ways. And then just lastly, I'll talk about gender. So gender is one of those things that's been investigated long before a lot of the racial issues or ethnicity on consumer financial behavior. But gender tends to be sometimes a good and a bad thing in terms of like what women are doing versus what men are doing. One of the things there that we see is that women tend to be a little bit less risky and less likely to go out there and have aggressive portfolios and that type of thing. But interestingly enough, there's some research that's come out by some pretty renowned researchers that said the research paper was called Boys Will Be Boys. And this research found that this was a good thing. At the end of the day, women were performing better in their portfolios because they were less likely than men to move things around and sell stuff off and try <laughs> to beat the market. So again, I could talk about it all day, but there's just a few ways in which race and gender impact consumer financial behavior. It's interesting when you hear about women, you know, because even with the career choices, right? When a woman comes into a career choice, they're going to take some, you know, guy's going to come in and try to get something that might, he might have a dream that he might think he can do it. Mm-hmm. Woman's going to come in and be like, I'm not doing that and make a better <laughs> decision. And it's like, that's about that. And that decision making process that you see for women, which is absent in men a lot of times, it leads them to being better at making investments. It's crazy. But yeah, it's not talked about a lot. And women don't look at it like, you know, they kind of shy away from it. It's like, no, it's okay. Trust your gut. Trust yeah. your gut. It's going to lead yeah. you right. You know, that's incredible. I like that. How would you describe the relationship between the financial planning industry and racial wealth grant? Oh, yeah, that's an interesting question. I think that we're finally getting to understanding that there is a connection between those two things, right? Mm-hmm. The financial planning industry and the racial wealth gap. I know that there was a study that recently came out. The Tale of Two Financial Plans, which is really a great addition to the literature that we have with Pamela that produced that. And then in her co-author, but then there's also this research paper by a woman named Dawn Burton, a researcher out of the UK. And she published this article called U.S. Racial Wealth Gap and the Implications for Financial Inclusion and Wealth Management Policies. Essentially, what Don Burton argues is that there is absolutely a relationship. And essentially, she states that the financial planning industry has contributed to the racial wealth gap and it's reinforced white supremacy. She says that the financial planning industry reproducing whiteness has embedded this whiteness as a, as a barrier for other people getting into the industry in terms of clients and employees. Whether or not you agree with what Don Burton says, it's interesting to think about that issue of has a financial planning industry been a barrier or has it been an avenue for progress as it relates to the racial wealth gap? And I think where we are right now is we are trying to, as an industry, push the needle and realize that there is a connection. But up to this point, there's a lot to be done. That racial wealth gap goes so far beyond the financial planning profession, right? It's systematic. It's something that has to be taken up with the highest of the high of this country 
which is not one industry, right? But within this one little industry, there's a lot that can be done to help to close, if even a little bit, this racial wealth gap. Absolutely. And I think the change that we see in the industry will trickle into what's going on in the wealth gap. Let me explain. So what I mean by that is, as we see more diversity come into the industry, right? As we have more messengers out here saying the message, as we have more Emlins and the Sartes and Chloe's and Anna's and people, you know, like that going out and spending the time with these families. The numbers look like this. This is what I always like to look. We, uh, you know, if you have, you know, 500 advisors helping, you know, 75 households apiece, that's 75 households. So that's 75 families at least. And then those 75 families are going to be impacted majorly, right? And it's not only just the parents, it's the kids, it's the family, it's the entire family. And so I think, you know, when you look at people coming into the profession, making space for people to come into the profession is huge. I think that you see those same things in every industry, no matter what industry it is, the people that were in power created the industry and created the rules for that industry. So the same people were in power in every industry. It wasn't like it was something, you know what I mean? So the constructs and the things that make it difficult are in every one of them. This one just happens to be the one that's directly tied to the person's ability to build and helping them, you know what I mean? So giving them the tools to do it. So it needs to take a little more ownership. And I think the industry as a whole have a facelift in an update because, I mean, we make this industry incredibly difficult, inaccessible to many people, and we need to change that. That's something that we want to do different. How can financial professionals bridge that gap? Like, how can they help? What can they do? Yes, yes. I really love this question. So last summer, I uh, talked to the MIT Age Lab and their constituents about financial planning and the racial wealth gap. And there, when I talked I had five things that I said that the financial planning industry could do to help ameliorate this issue. So the first thing that I feel like is on the list is actually to just acknowledge and be aware that this is an issue. And I know that that sounds so simple, but (laughs) if you don't believe that there's a racial wealth gap, or if you want to ignore that that's a problem, I mean, you're not going to get beyond that. So being aware and being intentional about what you're doing, how you're doing it, what you're saying, who you're serving, who you're letting into your firm. I mean, there's a lot of decisions that are made on a daily basis when we're talking about financial planning, being intentional when we're looking at those different things. And so that kind of leads into the second one of being intentional about who's being hired into the firm. Attract diversity into your firm. Again, that's something that you have to be intentional about or else it won't happen. Third, I would say developing cultural competency where that's needed. Amazingly, that is something that is missing from a lot of institutions out there, just being aware. And some of those things, you know, that you might see are those affinity groups, right? So there's firms out there without affinity groups. They don't realize that perhaps some employees or financial advisors might, you know, want to have an LGBTQ plus community within the firm, or that there should be a Latinx group within the firm, or there should be a recognition of certain holidays and things like that. Developing cultural competency, not just for employees, but also for clients. I remember talking at a NAPA conference and I said, hey, it's Hispanic Heritage Month, right? Do you know that? If you're queuing into cultural competency and you want to be known for that, do your clients know that you know that? Mm -hmm. That's important, Mm -hmm. right? 
And then, you know, the fourth and fifth thing I mentioned uh, were to think about maybe things that you can do in your fee structure that would perhaps allow more diversity if that's necessary for some people that they don't have to do anything. But is there something that you could do to open up the opportunity to serve a more diverse client base in terms of fee structure? The last thing, giving back and educating and being where the people are that you want to serve. Those are my five. Totally agree with all of that. I would definitely say on the latter part, talking about the consumers, right? The fee structure is important. Why is the fee structure important? Because what's happening is like you were talking about some statistics about the likelihood of families to take on a financial planner. Well, the other thing is that the income levels and education levels of minorities is continuing to go up. So what they call that when I was in the insurance world, they call that a Henry, a high income earner, not rich yet. Right. Because we know that high income leads to wealth. It can be a pathway to wealth. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot more minorities have more income. And so when they're having more income, this is where the fee structure and how a financial advisor is paid makes a difference. Because if they're only paid to manage assets, not actually paid to give you a financial plan, that client that's a high income earner is not going to be a good fit for that advisor that only wants to manage assets. So it's important for the industry to understand why the fee structure of the advisors that people work with make a difference in their ability to create wealth, even their desire to work with an advisor. If I think that you're only like a wealth manager, because that's what we call it, you're only a wealth manager, then I can't really talk to you because I'm not wealthy yet. I think you're spot on with that. I think that's something that has to change and it has been changing for certain groups. There's the fee-only groups that go out there and do the financial planning monthly. Shout out to Onyx Advisor Network, you know, for doing that. Onyx Advisor Network, if you guys don't know, is the network that is being created for underrepresented advisors. Underrepresented is going to be women, people of color, LGBTQ+, and that is the place where financial advisors can come start their practices. They can come start, scale, and sustain their practice there. So what we want to do is we want to create a space and a pathway for more messengers to enter into the financial services industry. That's what we created that for. So I'm super excited about that and about the work you're doing. Was there any topics that we didn't touch on? I know that there's like so much stuff that you're working on. Is there anything else like you're saying, hey, you know what? I didn't mention this. This is something else that's good that's going on. <laughs> Well, Emlyn, I mean, you know, I could talk to you all day about this. I mean, <laughs> have this conversation as a highlight of my day. So I think there's a lot of great things that are happening in the industry. I'm excited for all of the possibilities. I mean, hearing about Onyx and there's just so many things. It's now it's like it took a while for that ball to get rolling and now it's rolling. And there's going to be just so much, I think, that comes out of this positive things. And it's interesting. I don't disconnect the social movements that have been happening in our country over the past two years. I absolutely think that that is connected to what's oh. the progress that we're seeing in our industry. So props to the people that are pushing buttons in financial planning, and they don't know that they are. Sacrifices, of course, tragedy had to occur for some of those things. But again, good things are coming from that. I always am reminded Um, the day that George Floyd was murdered. That date has already been a big date for me as a person before George Floyd. It was my grandparents' anniversary, a few days after my birthday. I always paint this picture and I've said it on the podcast before and you guys have to listen to it again because I'm going to say it. 
when I was sitting there, you know, you're sitting here at home. It took a global pandemic for the entire world to be shut down. No sports, which was very, very important because sports would have been on. This wouldn't have been seen. So there's nothing else to be watched on TV. There's nothing else to be seen. And you're at home with everybody. Usually this is the time when you're not at home with everybody. You're at home with everybody, right? And then they have this happen. And now there's something explaining to do. Now you got to talk to your kids about this. And your kids are going to have this conversation. You're going to have this conversation with yourself. You're going to have this conversation with your significant other. And friends, everybody's talking about this now. Now it's really like, okay, so now how do you feel about this? You've seen it now. You can't unsee this. What are we going to do? And I think those ripple effects, like you said, came across industries and it's really hit ours. And I'm looking forward to the changes. And there's been just as many allies. You know, I always like to think about the allies that come out and help. So we appreciate the help. Together, we're better. As you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. I have to ask you this. What motivates you and inspires you to continue to grow, learn, and lead? Yeah, that's a big question. Great (laughs) question, though. Oh, many things. But I think one of the things that does motivate me to grow, to learn, to lead is to know that I can affect change. Mm -hmm. All of us can. Right. That doesn't make me unique in any way, but I know that I can make a change. And so I'm motivated to get up every day and make that change. That can be in the life of a student that comes to me and asks me, you know, Dr. Wright, or how can I be more successful on my job talks or how do I get an internship? That could be in someone reaching out to me to put together an educational piece for financial planning for consumers pro bono. Right. There's so many things that I feel like we all can do to make the world just a little bit better. And that's my motivation. I got to ask you this. I just have to. Do you think education plays a big part in wealth building? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) I think I'd be a bad professor if I said no on that one. But no, even before my career in academia, education really has been it for me. It's something in my family that's very important. My grandfather, who had an eighth grade education and dropped out of school to, so that he could provide for his family and have his other two brothers go to college. A lot of sacrifices have been made in the name of education because as a family, we understood how important it is just in life, right? They always say that education is the great equalizer. And I don't know that I would say it's a perfect equalizer, but absolutely it does help to close gaps. And so when we're thinking about building wealth, the more you know, I think the more you can grow. Yeah, the more you know, the more you can grow. I like it. I'm with it. If you could offer pieces Mm -hmm. or one piece of advice to the listeners, what would that piece of advice be? I would say that in thinking about your listeners who are consumers and are looking to build their wealth, I think every day can be a step towards wealth building. I think that there's never a too late moment to start that path, to make changes, to open that IRA or to invest differently or to look for that help or to whatever it is. I think every day is a new day, right? And I would say the same for advisors that are listening, that are wanting to do something differently or to attract different clients. I think that every day is a new day and small steps matter. So that'd be my piece there. That's it. You heard it here. I'm not going to add anything else to that, Dr. Eager. I'm not going to add anything else. 
<laughs> you know what? If people want to get more of you, if they want to hear more of your thoughts, they want to see any research, where can they get a hold of you? What social medias are you active on or where can they get some more of you? Yeah, I'm pretty square when it comes to social media. So I would say I'm on Twitter, not very active, probably the most active on LinkedIn. So my handle there is Miranda C. Reiter, R-E-I-T-E-R on LinkedIn. And then there's my university page at Texas Tech University where I post things from time to time like publications. I'm definitely going to put, if we can get some of those things from you, I'd love to put some of those stuff you're referring to in the show notes. If it's available, yeah, we'll definitely want to get that. Sure. In there. I'm looking forward to some of that research and we'll have to talk about that a little bit more offline. Thank you again for coming to the show and joining us today and blessing us with your knowledge and the work that you're doing in the industry and, and everything you have going on. We really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you're doing. This is amazing. I'm honored to be a guest. Thank you. Thank you. As you all know, This is the Minority Money Podcast, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. I'm your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly. Until next time. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast, so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here and until next time.